Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, Phil, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you along. And from what we were just discussing before I press report, you've just returned uh, from our subconferences overseas. Yes, so um, Dublin and London, a couple of uh, conferences related to what we do around uh, SAP uh, security, uh, you know, compliance, governance, all those sorts of things. Um, I'm actually English born, so it was good to get back. I hadn't been back for about 18 years. Right. Um, I worked there and I went back in the early 2000s and, and worked for about four years living in London. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it was good to sort of see familiar places and um, show my wife around you know, some of the areas I, I know. Uh, hired a car, drove around for a bit, so um, got out to do a, a bit of relaxation as well as attend the conferences, so it was good. Uh, it's excellent. And do you still have family there? Um, sort of distant cousins. Yeah, right, not, sure. Not, not anyone we're sort of um, in touch with, but exactly. yeah, um, the family's um, from Lancashire. Right. So a, a lot of sort of roots back there, yeah. Okay, awesome. And were you um, were you speaking at any of the conferences or purely a delegate? Yes, yeah, delegate at the first, but speaking at the second, that was quite last minute. The, a spot opened up, so we quickly organised sponsorship, and I, I wrote some slides, and uh, yeah, delivered a uh, uh, like a half hour presentation on SAP governance. Okay, and um, sort of giving an, another worldly perspective on, I guess, how we do it down under. Right, and. Uh, yeah, well received, and I got uh, a lot of good thank you messages from the the company that ran the event. Um, yeah, uh, it was good. It was good, and it was good to sort of um, be in a similar sort of fireside chat where another expert was bouncing off me. And right, it was good. And I guess you know, being a Australian company, you know, exposing our brand over there wasn't going to you know, result in sales or mm-hmm. any sort of major traction, but it was. It was good to sort of get the experience, you know, get the practice in of, of speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was 250 attendees, and they said at any at any given presentation there were 100 people listening. So, so it's good. Okay. Good to do. And and uh, how did it sort of stack up Australian versus you know world's best practice? Are we sort of at the leading edge, or are we laggards, or where do we sit? Um, from a conference perspective, or uh, from a content, from, from in terms of your, you're talking about um, SAP yeah. and yeah, you know, uh, etc. Um, I, I think the the main difference I picked up on was in Australia, it's hard to sell compliance, it's hard to get companies to put money into, you know, cyber. Uh, obviously, recent events of you know, a number of breaches occurring. In the corporate world, it's getting you know, more visibility. I guess what we do is about internal fraud, so protecting mm-hmm. your systems from in, your internal resources doing things that they shouldn't do, um, not granting them access to, to you know circumvent money and what have you. So um, it's it's a real challenge to push that. Whereas I found uh, the European audience, 
uh, it's a lot more collaborative. Everyone just wants to learn from each other. Everyone wants to put the best practices in place. Um, yeah, maybe the same budgetary constraints and you know where do we put our dollars from a, a an IT perspective, but certainly a lot more open and willing to I guess learn, listen, and and take action. Right. Uh, in Australia, it's often oh we failed an audit. You know oh yeah we've got a problem. Come and fix our problem. Very hard to get companies to be a bit more proactive. And, and do you think that's that a strain, she'll be right attitude? Uh, she'll be right. It hasn't happened to us. We trust our people. Right. And, and I've even heard auditors say, no, 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 we trust our people. <laughs> well, yeah. If, if you're um, familiar with Queensland news, um, you might have heard of the Tahitian prince. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a government employee um, who over a number of years convinced everyone he was a Tahitian prince. Mm. Yes, he might have been from a Polynesian country, certainly not Tahiti. Um, And he used that to explain why he had an expensive apartment full of art with a nice sports car. You know, it was that he had other money. No, no, no. He was fleecing money from the government. So, Mm. you know, a couple of million bucks in the end went, went missing. And that's because he had access in systems to divert money, right? Um, internal fraud. That's exactly what our company is about preventing. Okay. Well, that's a, a great segue into talking about that. So yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about Compliant ERP. So founded in 2013, uh, we're now 14 people. Um, basically, my wife and I started the business when both of us were sort of on the bench but had interest from a number of, of companies to, to utilize our services. So we thought, great, that's Let's form a company and go and go for it and sort of, I guess, do things how we like to do things. Um, and we've sort of organically grown since then. Um, you know, we've, we've worked, continued to work for a lot of the, the large companies in Australia um, purely through our network, our relationships. You know, both been in the game well over 20 years. So, you know, as we work for people and they move around, they call us up and say, hey, mm-hmm. you know, we need, we need your help. So, you know, we don't actively we actually don't have a salesperson. We don't actively go out there and try to sell our services. It's just leveraging our network. Um, so yeah, we've organically grown, uh, like I said, 14 people and we're, we're flat out all the time. Fantastic. And what are the, uh, some of the services that you're offering then? So generally it's, it's consulting services to do with SAP security. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, being part of a bigger program of work where we come in as the experts and we help design the security that will end up being allocated to the end users. So that's like what we call a business role. What do I need access to across the SAP footprint to be an accountant, you know, to be a maintenance planner, to be a purchasing officer, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we put the, the, the pieces in place that allow that business to then, yeah, have confidence that the right people have the right access at the right time. Um, we may utilize a what's called a segregation of duties or an access risk tool to validate that you know, the access we've designed for a user cannot be exploited. There's no combinations of authority that would allow them to circumvent um, you know, money mm-hmm. or goods out of the system. So yeah, it's it's really about consulting. Um, just bringing our years of experience to bear to build best practice security models. Uh, some of our work is doing reviews. So companies will realize they're in a mess. 
that they've had too many people uh, playing with their security models since the day it was built to where they are now, and it, their users don't have the right access. They have too much access. Um, they're failing audits because you know, the security model's not been kept clean. So we come in, we do reviews, we run our tools over their security, we give them a report and a roadmap, and then we go and, and get them back to being clean. And so um, is it something that is done in partnership with SAP or do they subcontract this work to you or how does that work? Um, we are SAP partners. Um, SAP will occasionally come to us to help supplement their own services uh, teams. But generally we work with other bigger partners um, than ourselves. So, you know, the, the, the big five okay. or some of, the, some of the other SAP consulting houses, um, you know, you might know, you know a lot of the Indian companies like Tata, Infosys. Um, in Australia, you've got Rising, which is an American company, uh, which has now just been bought by Wipro. You know, we, we've done work for them. Um, you know, Capgemini, you know, those sort of SAP consulting houses that might have you know, other business interests, but they're certainly the big players in the SAP game. Some of them don't have dedicated security teams. Okay. Um, or they don't have enough and they need to supplement those teams, they, they give us a call. All right, excellent. Well, let's come back a little bit to comply with the RP later in the conversation. And yep. uh, you mentioned that you started the business 14 years ago. So tell us a little bit about the backstory. Uh, obviously, you've already mentioned that you were born in the UK. Yeah. Talk, talk, talk us through sort of a, you know, uh, your early life and career. Yeah, so my university, I went, obviously, I born in the UK, but I was here from the age of three. Mm -hmm. So all my, my schooling has been through um, being, being here in Brisbane. So that's why I don't have an accent, right? Um, so, yeah, I guess I've, I went to uni and I did industrial design. So I had, a, I guess, a, a, a liking for graphics and you know, drawing and using computers and CAD and that sort of stuff. Um, but there was no jobs in Australia or very hard to get a job in Australia as a industrial designer. But what that gave me was a foundation for problem solving. You know, it's the ability to analyze something, develop a solution, pitch that solution, um, work with other disciplines to come up with those solutions. So you know, I, I, end, I went from university. When I was finishing my, my degree, I was working for tip-top bakeries. Right. So I used to work in a factory, you know, casually earning some money while I was at uni. And the chief engineer, there was a new chief engineer, and we met at a bit of a team building exercise because by the time I was my third year uni, um, I was promoted to shift supervisor. So I was sort of part of the leadership group. Um, so I was on this sort of team building um day got talking to the chief engineer and he's like right i could use you because of my background in doing a design course to help him put some sort of maintenance system in place mm -hmm. um so i ended up writing a little database um, coding all the equipment and spitting out routine maintenance plans for the, for his equipment yeah all on a little database that i wrote myself and then tip top put in sap and the first module they decided to put in was plant maintenance and so I was offered up to the, the national engineer 
to go and learn SAP and help lead the deployment of SAP plant maintenance across all of the bakery sites across Australia and New Zealand. So I was in a bit of a one-man band. I had to learn SAP. I had to go out to all the sites, train them in SAP. I had to configure the solution for each of the sites, you know, and then support it. Um, so it became part of a big program of work. And then that company, the parent company, which was George Western Foods at the time, um, had to put in all the other modules like your procurement, finance and what have you. Um, so then I got to meet the security person on that project. And, and she was Brisbane, but she had moved to Sydney to be at the head office. And I had been moved to Sydney to sit with the chief engineer to help look after the maintenance module. And we decided to get a, an apartment together because okay. you know, we were both sort of like, oh, where do we live? Um, let's share rent. And um, yeah, I guess spent a number of years sort of working, getting better and better at SAP. And then she had an opportunity to do security overseas. You know, um, she was, I think, going to Barclays Bank in London. Um, and for various reasons, I decided I would leave the project. And because I had a British passport, yay, let's go, right? Mm -hmm. So um, Leah landed in the UK without a job, but got a job in, in SAP plant maintenance within about two weeks. Um, worked that for about a year. And then this friend of mine, um, she ended up working for Shell. And Shell wanted to grow a big security team. Um, her boss said, hey, let's talk to Phil. Uh, it would be good to get some functional knowledge within the team. So I joined that team um, and learned security then. And the rest is history. So I guess from the early 2000s, I learned everything to do with the SAP security. Um, left there in about 2004, came back, did a bit of work for BHP in the maintenance space. And then there was a guy at SAP Brisbane office who had decided he would put together a dedicated security team for SAP. Um, first time in Australia that SAP had, had done that. So through my work at BHP, I got put in touch with him and about 10 of us from around the country were brought together to form this dedicated SAP security team. And it was at that point we all landed in Rio Tinto. So we became the foundation for when Rio Tinto started their global project mm -hmm. to, to implement SAP across 140 countries um, where SAP had business. So that's where I sort of, I guess, got that big project, you know, very complex um, security um, element to a project. I ended up specializing in HR. So the HR module of, of, of SAP and the security around that. Um, yeah, and so I guess that, that you know, deep project experience and working with a lot of people, solving a lot of different problems gave me the confidence come 2013 that I could do this as a, as a business. And so what, uh, I mean, obviously you've remained in that space for pretty much your entire career. Yeah. Uh, what, is, what excites you about it to, you know, to, to keep you, you know, in that sort of fairly... Uh, uh, narrow band of focus. Yeah. Um, I, I guess there's, there's an element to designing security and that is you are the front line right, mm -hmm. of how, how users interact with SAP systems. So 
when we design security, we're designing menus, we're designing you know, um, user interfaces, we're designing what they see when they access a system. And so it's it's being that you know, frontline, but also the first first line when things go wrong, right? So you spend a lot of time either fixing security that you've built, fixing other people's security that they've built, fixing the user experience, but also often proving that the problem is not security. Mm -hmm. And so you get to be very hands-on learning the you know, how how the various modules are functionally configured. You start to learn a lot about the code and how custom developments are coded. Um, you learn a lot about workflow and a lot of the other technical elements of SAP. So yeah, I guess the 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 continuing interest is that um, there's always something different every day. I'm applying my knowledge, and it's good to see that I I still have a lot of extensive knowledge and pretty much coming up against other consultants and proving, yeah, I'm right, they're right, I'm wrong, they're wrong, you know, and sort of working together yep. in, in areas, not just security, to make things work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A okay. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think about my own experience. Uh, I was working in the recruiting industry and I just decided for myself that I needed to take that leap and start my own business just to prove that, you know, yeah. I actually had that in me. Yes. What What was the experience for you? You know, what what you're obviously very successful in your career with yeah. brands and so on. Yeah. What What was it that you know uh, inspired you to do your own thing? Um, it was a numbers game. There was my wife and I with three three businesses saying we need your services. Right. And, and I think prior to that, we'd both worked for other um, boutique security consultancies and we felt that we were never heard. Like, mm -hmm. As in, we had some good ideas to take that business forward, but things never changed, right? right. So uh, we didn't want to be a bums on seats consultancy, right? Where it was all about the billable. We wanted to just get out there and solve customers' problems. So, um, yeah, having three between two of us, we could sort of juggle that, and we thought, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, let's let's form a business and, and go from there. Um, you know, once we had four or five um, customers through word of mouth, we then started to recruit um, you know, friends within our network to come and join us. And yeah, I guess once it was the balls rolling, keep going, right? And now I would not go back to working for someone else. <laughs> well, while, yeah, while this is successful and, yeah, even when you're going, oh, no, you know, the pipeline's drying up. What are we going to do? How are we going to keep everyone busy? Then the phone rings, right? Yeah. There's always that next customer mm -hmm. um, turning up to keep us going. So, um, yeah, why do yeah. anything else? Yeah. Well, look, I... Uh I, I, I go so far as to say I'm probably completely unemployable now. You know, right. I've, been, I've been running my own business for 14 years. So I don't think uh, I don't yeah. think I, I don't think I'd last working for somebody else for five minutes anymore. But uh, and so no. we were you and your wife working together as employees prior to starting the business, or were you working independently of each um, other? Sort of moving around, um, doing contracts, right? um as independent contractors okay. we actually we actually did meet on a project right um we say that's the best thing to come out of that project <laughs> um uh, well i won't say the project because it, it had some 
um, bad news, bad press. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I guess we we worked together. We worked separately. We came back. We ended up on the same projects, different projects. Um, I guess we were always sort of involved in each other's work. You know, right. Talking. Yeah. The um, the pillow chat. Yeah, excruciating. It's always bloody work, you know. <laughs> well, uh, I, I I started my business with my wife. Yeah. Who's, who's now no longer my wife, and we no longer work together. So any any couple who can make it successfully and have that, yeah. you know, separation we're hanging in there. Absolutely. Uh, this yeah, the you know, separation of the boardroom in the bedroom, right? And so, yeah. what about you know? So you're going. Look, we've got some clients now. This looks yeah. interesting. We've got the ability yeah. to start our own thing. Yeah. When you, I imagine you must have done a bit of a self-analysis and said, "Look, if we're really going to succeed in our own business, then, then I might have some skill gaps that I need to fill, you know, through education or coaching yeah. or whatever it might yeah. be." Did Did you have that sort of um, self-talk at the time? Um, I, I I don't think so. I, I guess, yeah, accounting, invoicing was probably right. the only other thing. Um, contracts, you know, having been an independent contractor, I wasn't wasn't new to you know customer contracts um, and negotiating, doing statements of work, doing estimates, um, and I guess I've always now done that, and so mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's been a gap there. And I guess as we've grown, I've engaged a bookkeeper, an accountant. Uh, we now have an advisory board, uh, and we're, we're trying to scale. Mm-hmm. So you know, we're trying to find other advisors to 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 come on the journey with us. Like I can't say I've ever done specific training. I guess I I, I know my way around zero enough yep. to do what I need to do. My bookkeeper does the rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still do all the banking, all the payroll, and and I and I'm still on the tools, right? So for me, the challenge has not been skills. It's been how do I get off the tools. Mm-hmm. To run the business, not be in the business, mm-hmm. and and that's that's where we're at now. Uh, unfortunately, I'm the the team lead to a very large project. I've got like eight people reporting to me. It's in a critical phase. I'm sort of stuck with it. I need to see that through, sure. and I need to see that customer have success, mm-hmm. um, and then position my my team that's in there to continue to support them with me pulling back once that project's uh, come to a close and avoid being involved in other big pieces of work. But unfortunately I do have a reputation. My wife has a reputation and when customers come to us, they want our involvement. They want us to be named resources on their projects. That's my challenge. Yes. And uh, it is my challenge also. Uh, Yeah. yeah, You know, founder, founder led businesses, uh, it seems to be par for the course. And it's interesting because I'd run groups uh, for CEOs to talk about their businesses and their challenges and so on. Yeah. And I actually was running a group this morning and one of the guys was talking about, look, I'm thinking about getting my first advisory board. Yeah. He, he wanted to ask our opinion about how and when he should do that and so on and so yeah. forth. So it, you mentioned you've got an advisory board. Yes. So at, at what point did you think this is something that we might need? So I guess something we, we haven't touched on is we have two businesses. Okay. So there's another business called Surpass Software. Um, Surpass is uh, an acronym from Compliant ERP Assurance. Okay. okay. And it's our own software tool that we are using to do 
um, governance, risk and compliance type um, capability for our small to medium businesses. So our customers that can't afford the big end of town applications, we're building something that's more um, suitable to them. We're trying to scale that. We're trying to you know, generate sales and, and I guess grow that side of the business. And ultimately we'd like to be more of a software house than we are a consulting house. Mm -hmm. And so we, we realize that that's struggling to get going. And so an advisory board, I guess the, the, the idea of that came about because uh, Marissa or, and I, but more Marissa are members of the Brisbane club. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're using that to network and meet, you know, you know yeah, people who've done it before, right? Not just IT startups, but other startups. Yeah, you know, accountants, lawyers, and and like capital people, you know, venture venture capitalists who help businesses scale. So I guess through that connection, we've met some people, we've had those discussions, and it's been recommended to us. Hey, you need an advisory board just to give that other perspective. Yeah. And I guess that's how we meet any knowledge or skill gaps. Is if if Marissa and I are too close to the coalface, we don't necessarily know if we're making mistakes. We have this advisory board. So we, we have two members from a, a venture, venture capitalist type firm mm -hmm. um, who are helping us. And, and I guess what they bring to the table is helping us scale, mm -hmm. helping us make you know, other contacts um, locally and globally to help generate sales and and scale obviously what's in it for them is to get us to a scale where we then sell right to get us to the point where we exit so we have an exit strategy in place um, obviously you know we're, we're both in our 50s you know retirements you know 10 15 years away we we have to have an exit strategy we have to build the business to the point where it's saleable so you know they are on the journey with us we just pay them a fee um to to access them on a monthly basis we have you know monthly board meetings and weekly catch-ups their you know, their interest is to help us scale mm -hmm. yeah fantastic and uh i'm a very active member of the club too and so I, okay I yeah yeah i uh uh i was what they call an ambassador of the club but uh they've actually okay. they've, they've closed that program now but the people that you're talking about uh who i know who they are, i think that it's actually them who introduced me to you. So there you go. Oh, yes. <laughs> right. I remember now. And so, Sorry, I'm no too problem. time poor. I don't remember everything. Oh, that's fine. And so, uh, and so if we look out to the future now, um, mm -hmm. yeah, Phil, what obviously scaling the business for an exit strategy, yeah. you know, is, a, is sort of a good, broad, exciting, you know, big, hairy, yeah. audacious goal. But yeah. when you're looking at the business over the next couple of years, what are the kind of things that you're excited about? Um, taking our, our product you know, to the next level. So we, we have a few customers on it. We are working closely with SAP themselves because it's a product built on their um, cloud platform. Mm -hmm. So it's a software as a service. It's on the SAP platform. It comes with all the... You know, security protections of being in an SAP data center and all that sort of stuff. So, and it has SAP's technical support. And you know, so we're working close with SAP to help sell it because it's a win-win for SAP. Right? So we're just at that. It's almost ready to take off. 
Um, a lot of things are in place. We're doing webinars with SAP. We're talking to SAP sales execs on how they can position it in front of their customers. Um, the conference in London, you know, um, allowed us to set up a partnership with an SAP consultancy who are now starting to use the product for their customers and, you know, baby steps, but, you know, hopefully that then converts into annual subscriptions and then, you know, it starts to take off. Mm -hmm. um, we're doing a lot on the marketing front to help drive that as well. Uh, most of that through LinkedIn, a little bit on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and next year, you know, we want to be sponsoring and talking at more conferences. So I guess the exciting part is, yeah, yeah, we're still trying to get going. Um, hopefully next year is the year that it actually takes off. We're getting a lot of positive feedback from from the partners and from SAP that we're, we're dealing with um, to position the product. Um, you know, we have an aggressive roadmap to continue to build out its features. Um, hopefully, yeah, it becomes the flavor of the month anytime soon. And we start to get that that volume that allows us to scale, to build the team um, and, and go quicker and faster to, to acquire more customers. Uh, yeah. Excellent. And one of the challenges, let me say that again, one of the challenges for companies uh, in this sort of high growth mode is trying to build and maintain culture. You yes. know? So what, yep. what, how would you describe, you know, the culture of the business and, and the kind of things that you're putting your attention on in that regard? Um, we started you know, small and mm -hmm. we've spent a lot of years in shared workspaces. And we did get to the point about two years ago, I think it was, actually it was as, as COVID was hitting. So at the end of 2019, we decided to leave the shared space. Mm -hmm. We We realized we were outgrowing that space, but also there were too many other you know, startups, wannabes, um, sort of consuming the space. Um, and we thought, well, you know, we're a successful business here. We need to stand up on our own two feet. So we've now got our own space um, here at Milton. So we designed the space as, as the start, I guess, of creating some good culture. Um, yeah, it's nice open plan. We've got the you know, illuminated sign at the front door to try and make sure the guys are, are proud of the brand and proud of what we're doing. Yeah, and we try to make sure that we have regular team events. Uh, we have a weekly team huddle. So anyone who's remote or in the office, we come together and we talk about, you know, what's in the pipeline, you know, celebrate our successes. Um, what are our plan, short-term and long-term plans? You know, we talk about the product side of the business and how that's going. And I, I think our culture's pretty good. I think we're pretty loose on the whole work from home thing as well. So we, we have a lot of flexibility. And yeah, I think everyone who's here is is on board for the journey of seeing our, our software succeed because they know that if it does, yeah, there's there's new opportunity. There's new positions mm. within the business will will come out of that, and so they all see the opportunity to you know, maybe take different career paths. Um, and certainly, as we grow, you know, there's long term viability to their positions. And I think they see how hard Marissa and I are working to to keep the lights on and to keep mm -hmm. the the pipeline full, and that uh, you know there, there's a future here. Oh, that's excellent, Phil. And um, 
Uh, final question before I let you get on with no doubt is a very busy day. So we've talked a lot about business today and, and yeah. so on, but one of the kind of things that you like to do and you and Marissa like to do, uh, you know, when you're not at work to keep the petrol tank full and keep up the enthusiasm. Yeah, I, I guess uh, we're, we're, we're busy nights and weekends a lot um, and three kids. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to find downtime. I think when we do, it's usually travel. Mm-hmm. So you know, if it's just a weekend at the beach or you know, over to New Zealand when we when we could do that or or you know, other areas of Australia, we just had a, a trip to Tasmania with with two of our kids in September. So I think that's usually like we we plan a trip and we that's what we're aiming for. That's how we we sort of get some downtime and refuel. Unfortunately, because we run the business, yeah, you know, we can never leave the technology behind. I've usually got a payroll or a month end to do, even if I'm not touching the customers, right? So yeah, it is it is challenging. And I think, yeah, keeping the marriage alive um, and healthy is also part of that challenge while we are constantly talking work and constantly dealing with frustrations. Um, yeah, I think we, we're just hanging in there. I think hoping that one day <laughs> we're of a scale that we can step back, right? And we can just run the business. I don't have to consult. I don't have to be earning the billable as well, right? And then that'll be happy days. Well, fingers crossed that's not too far away for you. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, well, Phil, look, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks very much. Uh, No worries. Have a fantastic afternoon and look forward to to seeing you at the Brisbane Club soon. Yeah, yeah, look look out for you. Okay, Okay. cheers, Richard. Good on you. Thanks, Phil. Bye. 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 We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Arate Podcast with Richard Treeks. For show notes and other resources, please visit aratepodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes so you can continue your own journey towards realizing your full potential as a senior executive. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.